This is episode 103 of the Landscape Photography Show. And before we get into the meat of today's episode, I just want to thank patron of the podcast, William Neal. Yeah, it's that William Neal, the one who's famous for photographing Yosemite. And, you know, before I say you should sign up for Patreon, that is a bit of a flex for me. I've been following William for a long time. He's one of my favorite photographers, and it meant the world when I saw him sign up to be a patron for the podcast. And it's that feeling every single time someone does sign up. You know, it's my goal to add as much value to Patreon for you as possible and put as much interesting content into that bonus exclusive material for you from each podcast episode. That being said, if you want to sign up for Patreon too and support the podcast plus get bonus exclusive audio, you can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up for a tier that fits your budget. Every single tier is going to give you access to that free audio from each podcast episode. From the podcast episode today, you would be hearing an audio exclusive from Jordan Ingley. Speaking of Jordan Ingley, he does join us on the podcast today. I've been following and kind of communicating with Jordan for a while now, and I feel like our friendship really blossomed once we both started being active on Twitter at the same time. And, you know, I reached out to Jordan and said, hey, I would love to get you on the podcast, share your thoughts on a few things, and just talk photography. And what blossomed was this amazing conversation, not only about how Jordan teaches his photography and how he interacts with different personality types, but also the meanings and stories behind his photos. And what I found interesting about this was we actually talked with Candace Dyer a long time ago. You can go back and look up this episode in the archives. But Candace and I discussed uh, Native American indigenous people stories about the locations that we go and photograph. Jordan had the exact same kind of backstory to one of his photos that we go into. And lastly, we talk about paradox and and paradox is the most difficult thing for humans to grasp because it's okay to live in two emotions at the same time it's okay to say something was good and bad or it's just the experience as a whole so jordan and i talk about paradox not only with his success in nfts but also for photographers who love to spend time out in nature, but also from time to time, you know, we get stuck behind a computer for hours, days, weeks, months on end. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Everybody here with Jordan Ingley. Jordan's joining us from the Pacific Northwest today, a place that I've never been, actually, Jordan, and a place I would love to go and come visit you and probably would be thrilled to come shoot with you. What's up, man? Hey, man. Yeah. Um, anytime. Like, I love it here in the Pacific Northwest. It stole my heart. Like, Jeez, almost 15 years ago now. So, uh, but yeah, it was, um, it's good. I'm good. Uh, how are you today, David? I'm great. I'm great. Why don't you give us 
all on the same page by telling us how you got started in photography and what led you to, to the point you're at right now. Yeah, man. Um, I'd love to. Yeah. My, my life, um, my path into photography has kind of always been, uh, based in the, my, my upbringing with my, my parents and my, my, we were really close with my grandparents and, my uncle and and we are very tech savvy family. Um, We always had cameras in my house and Polaroids and VHS tapes. And um, little did I know that that was like ultimately what I wanted to do when I grew up um, somehow was, you know, use cameras or, or, or create things with, with cameras. Um, I, um, I really definitely owe a lot to my, to my folks for being so tech savvy back in like the eighties and nineties, you know, it's, it's where, why I'm here, where I'm at today. Um, but yeah, then, uh, I decided to go to college in, in upstate New York. I grew up in New York actually. Um, that's kind of more where, where I'm from. And I moved out to Oregon in, in 2007. Um, and I went to school for media production and photography and music and uh, made it out west, and yeah, in two thousand seven, for my you know my post college years, music was actually the kind of my main source of income and and my creative outlet um, for probably about almost ten years too. Um, that was like where my whole drive was at. Um, but I, I soon found out that like you know trying to make it playing original music is not an easy, easy, uh, path to lead. And I ended up teaching, teaching music a lot. And that became my like real passion and, and like love around music and, and kind of supported me like going out and playing music for like empty rooms for a couple of years. Um, music, uh, that scene is what brought me into actually using, um, cameras and, and recording equipment to start to record, shows and concerts and 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 eventually i started um shooting photography for uh shows and concerts too so it was kind of the you know probably like 10 year plan of getting like a real camera in my hand and and putting me into that place where i realized like photography was like ultimately the media that that i really loved and and wanted to be doing do you what your instrument of choice is what Guitar. Yeah. Okay. I, uh, big, is it, is big it, guitar player? Is it near you? Can you play us something right now? Uh, it's not sadly. It's in a case in the closet, which is the, the number one rule is you always have your gear set up so you can play. Yeah. I'm um, actually really disappointed. I know that's just me. My cop out. It's actually next to me, but I just refuse to play. For <laughs> okay. If you were to play us something, what would be your go-to song? Oh, it'd be stairway to heaven. <laughs> really? The whole thing no, like really. that could take no. up, that would take up half the show. Oh man. Yeah. That's why you're lucky. I don't have it. Um, <laughs> ah, it's so funny. I, I like, I, I, I still like always never was that type of guitar player who was like, sit around the campfire and play, play you know, play all the jams for everybody to sing along to. Um, I really liked writing my own music and, and like improvisation, um, in like jazz and funk and 
jam scene and um and that kind of era of music so it's, it's just i was always the worst person it was like hey come jam around the fire and we're all hanging out and i'm like uh i'll figure it out but i don't i'm like i'm not the guy with the book of songs sadly <laughs> I've always Fair been enough. envious of those people, you know, because they're really entertaining. I'm like, cool. And you're like a jukebox. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Did you, a question. Can you play any instruments? I don't. Um, you know, no. when I was growing up, I took piano for several years uh, up until probably my junior year of high school. And the funny thing is about it. I can sit down and, and play songs that I played, you know, learning piano but when it comes to actually reading music i have no idea how to do it i played everything i just repeated it over and over and i would play it from memory um i can't read music to save my life yeah it's it's really interesting i you know i like asking that because it's like i used to teach kids and adults and um there are different type of musicalities like that like i had one student who was the kid could copy anything I did, but he, mm. he, he had like, he had uh, diagnosed ADHD. Apparently I found out like two years into teaching him uh, from his father, but like, he just really couldn't pay attention to reading. So like, I used to like create, you know, lesson plans to try to like get him to read slowly, but then really just let him copy me and, and use that portion of his like learning brain. Um, and it's, yeah, music's, music's like photography like that. It's, there's, there's like a real heady technical, you know, area of it. And there's like a real feeling emotional part of it. And you can kind of like, you know, you can kind of get into photography from all sorts of angles, like what your initial interest is, just like music. On the teaching side of that though, how do you adapt how you teach somebody? Cause I know you, you've taught some people photography, um, how do you adapt just like you did and, and relate back to music, that style and approach to, to teaching somebody how to use the camera and how to construct an image overall? I think it's important to create your syllabus of a sense, you know, your thesis, your, mm-hmm. your teaching method, you know, in, in guitar, there was always these like guitar method books in the style of so-and-so, um, but more so like taking the time to deconstruct your own knowledge of, of a thing and then creating lesson plans around that, that you can lean on and structure. Um, and I, and I, I, I feel like that's the, the main style that I'm trying to bring into my photography teaching and instruction. And I've also over the years taken quite a few uh, workshops lots of tutorials. Like I've been, I've been around the educational area in photography and I've always just felt that, you know, the, the more um, powerful and more uh, effective teaching methods were structured in a way that was like, you know, here's a, here's your, your basic workflow and how do you, how do you work through these things? So like in, in that situation with music, it would be like, well, if I have an eight year old who has ADHD I'm going to be picking and choosing bits and pieces of that, of that um, teaching method to kind of like see what sticks, you know? And a lot of that opportunity, you know, the first month of say doing like a weekly half an hour lesson with somebody is like, 
throwing stuff at the wall, right? And seeing what like lets the gets the eyes to light up. Would you say it's more about learning personality? Yeah, I'd say so. You know, it's it's definitely a vibe thing and figuring out, you know, through like reverse osmosis of what works for people, you know. And even when I taught music, it was like I was less of a learn this song exactly as is and more like, why do you like this song and mm. why like what, you know, what about this Van Halen guitar solo do you like? You know, here are the skills that are used to create that. Now figure it out. Because the act of doing is like one of the biggest um, steps, I think, into really learning something. You know, like we can't, if we're going to teach photography, you just can't plop people down on a composition and be like, copy this. Um, maybe, maybe in some ways, maybe you do that in like a, a manufactured form, like real quick with a group of people or something or an individual, but they've got to be able to take that idea and, and like actually achieve it and do it themselves. And it was kind of like, I'll, I, I won't lie. Like in some ways that was me being lazy, <laughs> like not being the guitar instructor to learn every possible song again. But for me, I was always about like, what's the structure? What's the language behind it? What's the, what's the, you know, the real meat and potatoes of, of what that piece of art is, you know? Let, let me ask you this. You know, you, you said you went to college for music, music production and photography. And in this day and age, you know, what we're living in right now with so much access that we can get our hands on for free through the Internet. Do, do you think you have to get an education that way? It's a hard one. Um, I in my industry in live events, nine, I won't say 90, but a large portion of the labor I work with has doesn't have a college degree. Um, I know a lot of people who've been touring with bands that you wish you could go to a concert for who never went to college for it. And I've met people through the industry that were like, you know, didn't, didn't come out with a big fat college loan in order to like learn how to run a camera at a concert or, you know, how to, how to set up a projector or do rigging or do lighting or, or touch a camera. Um, but on the flip side, I am a huge like proponent of the experience of like going to college. I mean, what I learned about who I am, um, how I do business, how I am creative, how I'm have been morphed has to do with me being in a huge state college with like all sorts of options in front of me, all sorts of people to meet, all sorts of teachers to connect with all sorts of, uh, internships that I built from relationships with like teachers that I had. And like, that's not possible in the metaverse, you know, like that's, that's still, still a thing, you know, like I hope my nephews who are teenagers now get that opportunity. Um, because I just, the more digital we get and the more, uh, online that we get, I feel the more disconnected we're getting. How much weight, though, let's take photography, for example. How much weight does a diploma with the word photography on it carry? I don't think much. Um, and I, I'm, not, like, trying, I'm never, not trying to like degrade what you did in college, by the way. Oh, yeah. 
Well, and I mean, my, my minor was in like photography, but I built a minor. Like I had a really, like really my, my degree was like basket weaving in like, <laughs> in the, like the media sense. Like I did all sorts of media production. I did visual poetry. I took psychology classes. I took creative writing classes. Um, I, I had an incident that had occurred to me in the beginning of college, which I won't talk about that put me in a position that I needed to change my role real fast. I needed to find something that I was like really into and I needed to figure out how the system worked. And I ended up figuring out that like I could, you know, why I don't need a counselor because all the things you need to graduate college are online on a list somewhere. So like I started going through all the requirements I needed to graduate college and I filled in the gaps with the, with the classes I wanted to take. And that was only from like looking at, you know, rolls and rolls of, 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 uh, you know, all sorts of different types of classes across multiple, um, subjects. And I like that experience there. Like, I, I, interestingly, like all my friends who kind of just were there on the degree that they like decided in high school, um, they were the ones that almost failed out when they were like seniors or like got out of college and had no idea what they were doing. And I kind of was like, I knew what I wanted to be doing. And that was, that was like, that's a, an important part. And I, I know a lot of people aren't that aware yet. <laughs> um, I know lots of people close to me who are still figuring out what they want to be doing. And I just, I've, I've been kind of that type of individual. <laughs> um, I'm like, I, 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 that's, so that experience was really important. And I don't think it's like, you need to have a degree to get that per se, but I, I wouldn't be who I was without those like in real life experiences I had in college doing that, you know, what was the weirdest class you took? <sighs> I think, I think it was like, I think it was visual poetry. I like that. And, and it, yeah, it was, it was taught by a, um, a teacher of mine. Um, his name was Senior Jeffrey something like like legal name like he lived he'd been all over the world and he like he knew Jack Kurak and it was like old hippie beatnik guy but his like special special um, specialty was this idea of sound poetry and visual poetry and he was like known like across the globe for his like you know art he put out in the seventies. So when I met this guy, long hair, super chill classes started at like two o'clock in the afternoon. I like, I fell in love <laughs> with this class and it was like, it was that experience of like extrapolating art out of like media. Like it was really that place where you could like get artsy for the lack of a better term. Um, and practice that, like, how do I, how do I, uh, you know, visual poetry is like, using imageries and words and, and design to create what you would call a poem. Hmm. So, you know, that to me too, the experience I had in college was being in like an artistic mindset, which today helps me when I'm writing descriptions for my photos or coming up with a collection idea hmm. or, how I, you know, try to add some of that quote unquote fine art into my photos. 
Um, and that's, again, something you're not going to get from a YouTube channel of a guy telling you the five best ways to expose a waterfall scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, you know, and I, and I think we're seeing that, that there are quite a few artists who don't, you know, artists or photographers who have a trouble being artists. Um, and I've heard that question a lot. It's how do you write a description? How do you come up with a title? And I just, I've never really struggled with that part of it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I know you went to Buffalo, go Bulls. Um, <laughs> they were so bad. <laughs> there, Yes, they were. Uh, <laughs> at Tennessee, we had a walking class. You walked. Uh, and the only <laughs> prerequisite was on the first day of class, you were timed at walking a mile. And on the last day of class, you pass the class if you walked a mile faster than you did that first day. <laughs> it's a true story. Oh, you paid good money for that class and that credit. I did. There were I some did. funny ones. Yeah. yeah. I, one I missed out on was a psychology class about the movie Matrix. And like, okay. I couldn't get into it. It like it, it filled out so fast and I could never get into that class. But essentially, it's like a study of like of, 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 um, yeah, psychology and, 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 uh, what's the other word for, um, you know, human theory, you know, I guess idea that, you know, maybe we are connected into a computer and this is like, again, happening at a big state school. So, you know, and and that's, that was the thing is like a, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, man, like I was a sponge. I was like, I wanted to learn. Like once I figured out how to like learn what I wanted to learn, I was so into college. Um, and I feel it's been that way with music. I mean, the reason why I got into music in college was that I, I had been playing music and guitar up to that point, but then like, I wanted to like learn it. I was like, I will treat this like mathematics and physics and I will write no cards and I will study. And I mean, I struggled. It was like, I took some like counterpoint and classical music classes and learning piano. And, you know, um, that was kind of just like, it was a good experiment, but yeah, once you can find what you're into, then like the fun starts, you know, it's, it's where you, you know, it's why photography gets people hooked because whatever that angle you come in on and it's such a fun activity, you know, that's why people all of a sudden go deep diving in YouTube forever. Or, you know, uh, you know, listen to podcasts like this because <laughs> it's a fun, awesome activity that you get to make art with. You mentioned that visual poetry class and how it helped you name images. You, you and I have discussed on DMs about some of the names of your photographs. Um, I would love to know the process that goes into that. Are you like deep diving into the history of a place to find out a deeper meaning and a deeper story. That's one, one route I go. Yeah. I mean, I like to know as much about a location as I can just for my own curiosity example to, to base this off of like, give me the photo and, and the name and then we can go down that road. Yeah, totally. So like one of my images that's out on foundation as an NFT is called Howling Dogs Throne. And um, it's from a location uh, in, in Oregon and Bandon. I'll, I'll say the name. It's a pretty known spot. So, um, but it's one of the rock features is called Howling Dog. 
And it comes from this uh, old indigenous story of Iwana. I'm, I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly, but it's uh, she was a, a indigenous princess who came to visit the coast, was told to not go swimming because of some e- evil dark spirit in the water. Um, and she went down there with her dog and her kittens. I don't know why she had kittens, but she had dog and kittens. And she put them on the coast and she went swimming and she was having a blast. And then the dark spirit came and sucked her under, <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's like the, the cliff notes. Um, but I chose that name howling dogs throne because the image is like the dog there howling at the sky, waiting for her to be released. And, and kind of just for some reason, it felt like um, his place, his throne. And, you know, from there, that's a, an example of me kind of using that, that history behind the image to name it. Um, sometimes it's like, it's a feeling thing, you know? Um, I might get an idea of what an image makes me feel like. And then if, if it's too cliche, you know, or too like typical, then, then I'll go like the source diving and just like look up words that look and sound good. Um, that look good, you know, like, you know, you don't want a super long name, you know? And I feel like this is like, this goes back to me coming up with names for songs I'd write or album names, um, you know? Uh, so you're just trying to like find something about that image that interests you or like describes the state of being during that space or image, you know? Um, and with the, with the, Howling Dogs Throne too. There's two other parts. I have two other images that are going to be released with it that are also named after you know Iwana and the Dark Spirit, and you know that's one way to kind of create a cohesive story behind it. Um, yeah. Do specific themes hold a deeper value to you? Well, I definitely feel like you know anything that has to do with the the history of the place i think means a lot to me with nature photography like specifically um just because like we're you know again we're coming so disconnected from the natural world these trends that are so exciting and trends that are happening um are extrapolating us further away from that so i feel like if like that theme can be put across in the title or the description and help educate the viewer more about that. I think that this makes it more powerful. You've mentioned the metaverse. You brought up NFTs. Um, you know, you've had a lot of recent success with NFTs. I've, I've kind of followed you through jumping into it. And then your recent success now with, with your intentional camera movement collection, um, I would love to know the process behind that. And I actually, I, I tweeted out a, a tweet earlier and this was one of the questions that came back was what was the curation process like? Uh, and why did you kind of decide on ICM is the main theme of your collection there? So, you know, um, I think let's take that from, I guess the ICM part and that project specifically. Yeah. I, so I, I, as my like main entry point into the NFT space and becoming an, like an NFT artist, as they would say, 
I decided to release this 50-piece collection of intentional camera movement images made from a specific um, like wildfire-scarred grove here in Oregon um, near the, you know, uh, Elwha Falls. And this, this fire um, that happened in 2017 at Eagle Creek um, kind of... Well, it, it destroyed like 50,000 acres of this area. And if you've ever been to the Columbia River Gorge, like the first time I ever visited it, which was actually at Elwha Falls, I immediately thought of Fern Gully. Like I'm talking green and and ferns and, and just the smell of that like wet forest floor. And like it was like one of the reasons why I knew I, I wanted to be in the Pacific Northwest. And that fire that happened in 2017 shut down this, you know, closed down this whole area and, and really, really damaged this, this falls and the area around it. So I, I, I went and I finally was able to get back to, um, Elwha Falls this March. Um, they finally opened up, I think in February. And I just, I was like, all right, I got to get out there and see it. I hadn't seen it in like 15 years. And like the whole trail all the way up to the waterfall is like matchsticks and there's growth coming back here and there, but it was, it was really kind of like heartbreaking. And, um, I, I actually kind of like, it caught my eye going to the waterfall. And of course I, I wanted to go see the fall. So I spent a bunch of time down there shooting and it was, you know, it was so much different than it had been the last time I was there. And when I'm, I was heading back to my truck and, I was coming back through this same grove and the light was just amazing. And all this like burn scarred, like growth coming back and sky looks just, I had this urge to figure out how to like take photos of that. And like, if you ever shot in trees before, like um, wide angle lens, isn't really your friend as much. Um, and I just, I was shooting with my telephoto and I realized that like, yeah, you know, if I played with intentional camera movement, I was, I was getting these really insane textures and, and colors. Um, and I kind of just like hung out for a couple hours and just like watched the light move through the trees and, and just kind of like vibed out as, as they say. Um, and I didn't quite know, like I had, I knew I was going to be releasing at least three or four of these as like finished works to put into like my print gallery and, and, and to offer. Um, but when NFTs came around and there was actually a market for like fixed one of one collections, I knew that this particular set of images would be perfect for just the style of crypto art and style of work that was popular. You know, it was kind of psychedelic. It was generative generative you know made in camera on the spot kind of randomly um each image is completely unique and can't be copied and those are all like the talking points behind why nfts are worth things to people so you know i i went back through my archive and and i you know luckily i was kind of just just <laughs> i was i was kind of just hanging out in the trees and having fun because i shot like hundreds of photos <laughs> and, and a lot of them are bad and they're not, they're not artistic at all, but I was able to pull out 50 of them that were good and acceptable. And 
people dug them. Like it took some time. It took me a solid, you know, couple weeks of, of just talking about the project and coming up with the idea behind it. And I decided on this idea of, of the ghosts of Eloa or Aloha. I think it's Eloa. Um, and the idea was, is that these trees, like, you know, another part of the story is that I, a couple of weeks after I had visited, we had a really abnormal amount of rain, you know, climate change. And because of those fires, um, the hills were really weak and we had major, major landslides again. And it shut this whole area down indefinitely. And most likely this trees that I was shooting were probably taken out. Like I'm pretty sure last time I drove by, it looked, it looked pretty bad. So it really puts an effort or puts a, it really puts, makes it poignant to call these ghosts. Um, each one of these images, a ghost and they're lab- they're numbered and labeled as a one-to-one NFT. Um, and that just kind of struck a chord, you know, that was an example of like me trying to extrapolate some sort of story and an idea behind my art and put something cohesive together and curate that, um, project. And this, this really wasn't even in my wheelhouse until two months ago. And until I got into, um, NFTs and, and the collectors behind them and the art behind that. Reflecting on the process, I mean, even up until, and you, you left out, you know, the most selfless part of your entire story of that, your donation you're able to make through your collection and through what you earned on it. Um, reflecting on the whole experience, what do you think you learned about yourself as an artist? I think I realized that there's an opportunity here with my art to, to be able to also give back to, um, to, you know, to donate and give back to, um, uh, a cause that I support. Um, I think I like, you know, I, I'm still in that reflection point. I think of about like what this process and what this experience is doing to me, you know, um, I, you know, I'll have to get back to you on that a little bit deeper, I think one day, but I do feel like this was the first time that a, I was able to like make some like legitimately life-changing money with art that I made as well as make a significant donation to the friends of gorge friends of the Columbia river gorge, um, who are part of, you know, recouping and taking care of this area. Um, and it just, it felt great. <laughs> I can't lie. It was, it was a good dopamine hit to be able to write a check so big that I like for, in order for me to donate it, they were going to charge me like $500 to do it online. And I had to go and like, bring this check down to the office and, and like give it to them physically. Um, and, and I just, this experience comes from my struggle and, um, path through juggling the, you know, all of the effects of my art on the natural world. Um, NFTs is one of them, but there's a lot of things I do as an artist and we all do as artists and we all do as humans every day 
that's contributing to, um, sadly, you know, the, the the demise of our natural world. And NFTs is what is it is a, is a hot topic right now for people to talk about that. And I just felt like, at the very least, very least, I should be donating portions of my proceeds to nonprofits that support some sort of like natural world um, uh, conservation um, as much as I can, you know? You know, listening to your entire story um, up until this point during our discussion, you've talked about your desire to move back to the natural away from the media that pulls us all apart, but you've also talked about the metaverse and spending a lot of time on, on the computer and all these platforms. You've talked about, you know, the great discussion that's going on between NFTs, climate change and what they can do to impact that. Um, you know, your whole discussion here, it is really a paradox. If you think about it, you know, going from back to the natural versus the metaverse, NFTs versus uh, protecting the environment. And I, I, the question I have is, is, is that a bad thing to live within a paradox of means of what you do a, as an artist? Oh, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, the paradox, like I, I, <laughs> I don't know if we even really have a choice to live in it or not, because I think if you, if you, as you grow into the more of the macro of what being human is, um, it's all a hypocrisy. <laughs> it's all a paradox, man. I mean, and I'm not trying to say that to like write off anybody, anybody's individual choices, but um, it's, it's a constant struggle. I think that, you know, depending on what your depending on what your, um, how you lead your life. I think we all like part of being human is kind of dealing with the paradoxes in our life. And it's upon reflecting on them that we can maybe start making informed choices on what we do next. Um, I use, you know, the NFT experience for me was, as I struggled for months about getting into it because of, of the environmental impact and then I was like, I literally was on Twitter and like poking and prodding people about it. And I was being one of those, like shaking my fist in the air. And then I, people started educating me on other bits and pieces and showing me. And then I realized that like, I also like outside of NFTs in general, everything I do, like I started putting more focus on all the things I do that are a negative impact on the environment, not just NFTs, you know? driving to locations, flying to places, going on workshops, making 60 inch prints. I mean, you know, uh, buying cameras and chips and lithium ion batteries and flying drones into the ocean, melting them by volcanoes in Iceland that I just flew to with 10 people. I mean, that's the thing that like I, I, I've been struggling with for years, but haven't come to terms with and NFTs has really put me there. I mean, the success and money and, and income I've made off them has required none of that traveling. You know, um, I've been for years trying to get a print business going or like, 
for years trying to figure out what my next steps as a photographer and how I, how, or if I become a professional, a hundred percent professional nature photographer, um, there hasn't been many options for that. And they all included a, probably a lot more energy expense than any money you're going to make. Um, and I'm still struggling with it. You know, I'm trying to think about not selling as much or figuring out like how I can continue to talk about the natural, you know, the effect of NFTs or this or that. And, 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 and again, just we're in it and talking about it and it has to be a, a thing that is part of the conversation as much as possible. And I said this, I, I came, came out with like, the other day, I was just like saying that we need the skeptics on our, in, in the conversation. Um, and if we're not, if we're not being skeptical with ourselves in life, man, I mean, that's just not doing anybody good. And I think like in a grander scheme, humanity needs to be checking itself and looking at uh, being, what being human really means, like really, and like how unnatural humans are and how unnatural we have become. And this is, whew, man, it's a lot, lot to unpack there, but I'm just, <laughs> um, I'm still figuring it out and I still have my issues and I, I hope that people can can see though that this is an opportunity for our art to be actually shared and collected by people who want to pay money and pay us for it. And this is like a new, uh, you know, I, I brought up to you earlier before the podcast that this, this current movement, this, this, this thing going on is like a new pre early days of flicker. Like all the, all the, our, uh, older, older friends and colleagues in this industry have got to experience. Um, and granted back then it probably wasn't spewing out a bunch of carbon, but you know, this is this, this renaissance of community around art that is inherently also connected with collectors and developers who are the people actually building these new technologies to, um, get our art out there and to put it on the blockchain and to do it more efficiently and to do it more um, with, with less carbon footprint. And these things are occurring. You know, I heard a therapist one time say that in terms of paradox and, and you just mentioned the difficulty of it all going back and forth the, the, the reality of paradox is experiencing multiple emotions at once and all of them being valid at the same time. Whereas, you know, typically we like to put a good, bad, mediocre label on something or an experience. Um, it is paradox in that sense, as you reflect on it, the most difficult place to sit as a creative person. Yeah, I mean, just to have something that can make you feel so good doing and like ultimately the act of creating is one of the the most unique like human experiences we can have. Um and it sucks that <laughs> by by doing that, um we are also could be killing or destroying or affecting the same natural space that we love so much. 
And I think this conversation has been going on. Like, like I get it. Like for the last four or five years, there has been a large movement of people who have been working tirelessly to preach nature first and to um, make it known, to make trends on Instagram change, like geotagging and, you know, all these things. And it's been an uphill battle for that movement. And I'm sure now they go and they see now Twitter and, and NFTs as being like a huge recession from that because of the, like, you know, the effect on the natural world that crypto can have. And I'm sure that's, that's making people really <laughs> quite pissed off. <laughs> there are some very angry people and I get it. I, I don't, I don't really have an answer for, for that either. I mean, I, 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 my, my response again is that we need to live with that paradox you're talking about and be like, again, have the skeptics and have the, you know, everybody in the same room talking about it and figuring out how we can like continue as a movement because the genie's not going back in the bottle, man. You know, the, the, the toothpaste is out of the tube. Um, so now what? And if we have everybody that is really passionate about these topics, um, just on the sidelines, you know, whining about it, it's not going to do anybody good. Like we got to figure out how to, how to do this together. And that's been kind of my personal, like, movement into the space is that I need to be an advocate for both as best as I can and try to like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> make myself feel good about what I'm doing and justify some of the actions, which still might not matter. I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to move forward as an artist and I can't like the, the true organic community that is building around this is is worth more than any sales right now. I mean, the it's just for folks that just haven't had an opportunity yet to kind of like be a part of it yet. Like, you know, if you come over to Twitter, David will take care of you. I'll take care of you. You know, we'll, 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 we'll give you some Kool-Aid, but it's like, it's really cool. <laughs> you know, it's really something special going on right now outside of just NFTs. You know, to change it up just a little bit, I know reading through your website, just your like about me page, several of your portfolio pages, every single time I came to the end of a page, it said that there were future plans to build out your website. Uh, I, I have to ask, what are those and, and what's coming from you? Oh, man. Yeah, that's a long term project. Um I, I'm really like, so, um, my website, I have built myself. I, I have totally, I took about two years to like learn WordPress, HTML, JavaScript, CSS. Um, I was, I've always been one that was like, Hey, I could pay somebody to do something. Or if I have the time, I just quote unquote, pay myself to learn it. And this was kind of the path I took with this. And it just, it took so long. <laughs> um, uh, when COVID hit, it really gave me, it gave me that whole year really to kind of like slow down from my, my other career path of live events. And I had a lot of time on my hands. So I, I started to, you know, put together a website that was my own personal platform. And it came out of, um, it came out of my disgust, <laughs> I guess is the word of like other social media platforms. And as most savvy marketing people will tell you, 
like you should be using your social media to drive people to your website and then try to get them on your mailing list. So you have a more direct um, line of communication with your customers and your fans. So, you know, I felt like I, I just been like just over sludging through Instagram and Facebook. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to focus on my website. And I, I, I took like 2018. I didn't shoot as much. Um, 2019, I shot a lot. So that was, it was when it really started kind of coming. Like I, I, I was getting a lot of the learning done, but when 2020 hit and I didn't really go out much, I really just kind of stopped shooting. I, I didn't, I didn't, um, go out and make photos that much that year, but it was all about the website. And I put all my effort towards trying to build both like a blog as well as like a archive of all the work I've done and to display it in ways that were high quality, easily navigatable, um, easily shareable. And I, what I, what I ended up like spending a lot of my time on at first was building that database of my images. And I say database in that I have basically built a system where I, all of my master files in, in, in Lightroom, I can tag them with metadata and use all the camera EIX, EXIF, um, all that metadata attached to those files. Um, when I upload them into my website, I've, I've set up, um, um, using scripting and, and other other tools where I can pull all that metadata from that file and it enters it into my database on my website. And then you can go on my website and search by any of that metadata. And this is a thing that's been kind of going on in like Flickr and 500px and like other websites, but I wanted something that was de- like dedicated to my needs. Um, and that was, that was the biggest learning experience was like, what's a database? How do you work with databases? Um, how do you design a front end to something to read the database? Um, and that was like, that was the first big step I made on, on the website, really. And once I kind of got that functional and, and you know, what I, I also wanted to, I wanted the website to be like every image had its own landing page. And, you know, similar people do this with stores. Like a lot of people have websites where you could purchase prints, but I, but beyond just the print purchasing, I really was focusing on how to have those, that metadata visible and easily be seen. So it connects to the other images, um, but also have descriptions on how I made the image eventually showing before and afters. And I've, I've, that's kind of where the website's going now is on my my new release is, is integrating in shopping and store front end to this stuff, as well as um, bringing in, you know, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time writing about the images and I'm trying to focus on that portion. And this is all kind of just in the grander scheme of the bigger plan of like having your images with a lot of info and metadata out there that's easily seen by both search engines as well as people uh, browsing the website. Um, so that's kind of the next big thing, you know, uh, short story, long story short is like, I'm trying, you know, my next push is going to be the, the, the store as well as now integrating NFTs into my website. Um, and I have some other plans with that and smart contracts that I'm, you know, 
add it to the list <laughs> um, of things I want to do. Uh, and I'm excited about that, but this is another one of those where I got, I spent all this time building that website and then more just other creative things have, have taken over my time. So now that's kind of sitting on the back burner. Um, and then, you know, I'll be coming back around to that, you know, hopefully soon, but there's plans, lots of plans, you know, where can people go to find more out about you? Well, um, definitely check out my website, uh, jordaningley.com. Um, you know, I'm, I'm on Instagram occasionally nowadays. Uh, it's kind of gathering dust a little bit, but I still respond and post occasionally. Um, Twitter now has been kind of my primary uh, social media outlet. Um, feel free to hit me up on there either by my name or my business name is Visual Suplex. Um, you can... Really kind of between those three places, really get, uh, you know, get in contact with me. I also have some collections up on OpenSea uh, of NFTs as well as Foundation. Um, and those are two of the more popular NFT platforms out there. So, you know, feel free to check them out. Um, if you have any questions for me about that stuff, like just shoot me a DM. I mean, I, I, I know I said I, I hate humans, but I, I really don't. So I, I'm always down to chat and hang out. <laughs> And like, feel free to reach out anytime, you know, he's Jordan Ingley. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and talking about your photography and journey. David, thanks. Thanks for having me on here, man. It's been a blast and, um, let's keep on creating, man. So the podcast just finished here, but Jordan and I are actually continuing our conversation over on Patreon. You know how I told you how William Neal signed up for Patreon? Yeah, I did have to name drop that one more time and flex on you for that. But William gets access to bonus content just like all the other patrons for the podcast do. We have tiers for $5, 10 and $20 a month that get you specific levels of benefits per tier. So every tier comes with access to this exclusive audio from each podcast episode. So if you're interested in hearing Jordan and I talk about how his personality is unique among creators and photographers or how relationships in the photography community have benefited him over time, you can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up for a tier that fits your budget. And with that also, you actually unlock all of the bonus content that we've had from previous episodes. So again, that's patreon.com slash David Johnston. I can't wait to see you guys in the next episode.